Father, as we, uh, we offer our, our hearts and our minds to you right now to listen, to hear from you, we'd ask that you be our teacher. We would ask God that we as a church would, would uh, get a fresh rehearsal of um, just why we gather here on a Sunday morning, a fresh reminder. And we pray that you would be at work in us, speaking to us, for we ask this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, as I said, today we're celebrating what God has been doing here at Deer Creek Church in the past, this past year, and uh, we are going to be looking at what we hope, what we pray God will do uh, in the upcoming year, this upcoming season of ministry. As we do this, we're actually talking about our mission, our vision. Uh, We're remembering together why we exist as a church. Uh, Why do we gather here on Sunday mornings? Uh, What are we about as a church? And of course, anytime any church does this, what you're uh, certainly doing is you're going back to the basics. You're uh, looking at the things that matter the most, the things that are, that are at the essential center of importance. And there are lots of ways we could talk about this. We could go to Matthew 28 and look at the Great Commission, and we could talk about ourselves in light of that passage, with, which uh, we've read and we've studied many times before. We could go to Acts 1.8, and we could talk about the time where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And uh, we could look at passages like that, but I said, nah, we're not going to do that. We we are going to look at a passage that might surprise you. We're going to dive into the book of Exodus. Uh, Israel uh, at this point has escaped from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've gathered at Mount Sinai and God delivers the law to Moses. Are you with me? This is going to be exciting, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to plow through something together, but it has a point. Uh, If it doesn't, God help me. But it has a point at the end, I think. One of the things that God tells Moses is he wants the people of God to build a house. It's called a tabernacle. Uh, It's a sanctuary where God will dwell among his people. And uh, much of the book of Exodus, about 15 chapters, in fact, is lots of boring numbers and measurements and descriptions. We're going to look at each and every one of those together. Actually, the reason it kind of hits us that way sometimes, what it is really is a blueprint. We're actually reading a document there. That's a, it's a blueprint for, uh, you know, it's a set of instructions for building this house, building this tabernacle. One of the main ideas that these cha- in these chapters is that certain things, uh, certain objects, certain places, certain people are to be set apart. They're to be sacred. They're to be holy. Moses is told, for example, to consecrate certain people. They're called priests. Uh, and uh, to consecrate them means that you, you set them apart. They are going to be sacred. They are going to be holy. For example, uh, in Exodus 29, it says, uh, this is what you are to do to consecrate them, the priests, so they may serve me as priests. There are certain steps that were to be taken. So now you got certain people that are special, certain people that are set apart, certain people that do things certain things that only they can do. And then too, we see that certain spaces are to be set apart. Some spaces are holy spaces. Uh, You all know the uh, tabernacle. Uh, There was a a courtyard uh, outside of the tabernacle that uh, uh, in that courtyard, only certain people could go there. I believe we have a picture. This is what we're talking about. This uh, curtained area created a courtyard. Uh, Only Israelites could go inside that courtyard. Certain people would go in there and they would do certain things. Inside the tabernacle, the tent itself, there were two rooms. 
Uh, there was a holy place. And inside that holy place, there was a place for some showbread that reminded them, the people of Israel, how God had taken care of them. There was also a menorah, a candle, light. You know, God gives light. God is wise. God has truth. Uh, there was also an altar of incense, symbolizing the prayers of God's people ascending to God. But again, only certain people could go in there at appropriate times, certain times. And then inside, further inside that tent, that tabernacle, there was this, this holy place, a more holy place, often called the holy of holies. Sometimes uh, too, there, it, it, well, it, inside that holy of holies, there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. You all saw that movie probably, the Ark of the Covenant. And it's this box and there are cherubim on it. It's all covered in gold. Uh, and this was a place where the Israelites understood God to dwell. Uh, and there was a, a separation between the Holy of Holies where this Ark was and that holy place. It was separated by a curtain, a very large, heavy, huge curtain. And all of this, of course, is very different to our thinking today, the way we kind of approach things. I was trying to think of a modern example of this type of mentality. I honestly had a great deal of difficulty coming up with one. Closest thing I could think of was if you've ever been on a, a, an airline or an airplane. Did you ever notice on an airplane what they use to separate coach from first class? What do they use? Yeah, it's a curtain. Yeah. Um, and if you're in coach, you're not allowed to go on the other side of that curtain. Have you noticed that? Even if you have to use the restroom, you're not allowed to go on the other side of that curtain because people in coach are common. People in coach are ordinary. People in coach are secular. They're, you know, they're not special. First class, holy of holies is what that is. That's only for special people. The chairs there are set apart. Literally, there's, there's more spacious. They're sacred chairs. They're wide chairs. They're comfortable chairs. The linens that go over the tables when food is served in that uh, first class area, the holy of holies, they are sacred too. People in coach don't get that. Have you noticed that? The cutlery, they get real cutlery, not, you know, plastic kinds of things. The meals that are served there are special meals. And if you're in coach, you can't even, not only can you not use these things, you're not even allowed to see them. I poked my head in one time and that's how I know this is true, what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you're in the Holy of Holies on a plane, you have to be clean. And so they bring you a moist towelette several times during your journey so you can wipe your face and your hands and so if you're in coach you cannot go on the other side of the curtain and you just are expected to sit there in your own sweat and nobody cares nobody cares whatsoever but for coach people that that area that first class area that's a forbidden area in Israel's uh, preparations concerning the temple concerning things like the ordination of priests um, there was this same kind of mentality. There were certain areas you couldn't go, certain things you couldn't do. It was only for certain people. Food was prepared on the occasion of the ordination of the priest. And the space where they were going to actually prepare that food was holy. It was a sacred space. That's the way the galley is too in uh, first class. If you know, there's a galley up front there and the food that they're serving those people, special food, not like the coach food, right? Uh, not just are the utensils special, but the meal is special. Uh, we read in uh, Exodus 29 that th there's a similar kind of dynamic for the priests who are being ordained. It says this, it says, take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place. That's like the first class galley, you see. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration, but no one else may eat them because they are sacred. 
And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, it says burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. That's what happens on an airplane too. You ever notice they don't bring the leftovers back to the coach. Anybody want a half a sandwich, you know, or a half a steak or whatever it is they're eating. It's just the way it is. There's a distinction. There's a difference. Uh, a few verses later there in Exodus 29, it says, for seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy. See the altar where the sacrifice is being offered, that too is holy. So the meat is holy. The altar is holy. The bread is holy. Holiness and uncleanness in the Old Testament are seen as almost a physical contagion in that sense. They can actually spread by touch. In addition to all of this, Moses is told also to, to make sacred garments for your brother Aaron. Aaron's going to be a priest, the high priest, to give him dignity and to give him honor. So now we have, we have holy places, we have holy people, we have holy meat and bread, we have holy altars, we even have holy clothes. The high priest had a breastplate that he wore, a robe, an ephod, a tunic, a turban, a sash, all only for the high priest, all sacred, all holy. And then, too, there are even certain oils that we read about in these chapters that the Israelites had to blend. And it says, uh, Exodus 30, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil, not like other oils set apart for a special purpose. And then uh, they're to make incense as well. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. It shall be most holy to you, Moses is told. So let's think about that. Now we have places. We got people, we got garments, we got meat, we got bread, we got incense, we got oils. These are, you know, there's, there's ordinary stuff and then there's holy stuff. That's what they're being taught. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus talks about the purpose of this whole system uh, that looks so very, very odd to us. In Leviticus 10.10, 10, it says, you must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. So you see, as strange as all this seems to us, God was actually teaching Israel something very, very important in all of this, something they needed to learn. He was developing in them a kind of discernment, if you will, an awareness or a sensitivity to the fact that some things are holy, some things are sacred, some things are not. But all of this, understand, is kind of in its it's in its infancy state. Israel's just learning about God. They're learning about God's holiness. They're learning about how to worship him. They're learning about how to relate to him, how to do life with him. And it's like they're, they're being given training wheels for this bicycle that they've been given, right? Uh, God wants to, them to learn some important spiritual truths. So they are learning about two realms. One realm is the sacred, the holy, the clean, the pure, the other is the unholy, common, unclean, impure, secular, if you will. One realm is special, the other, not so much. One is just for a few, the chief priests, the priests, the Levites, and so. The other is kind of for everybody else. The sacred realm has its own set of rules. It has its own practices. It has its own codes, its own procedures, its own behavior. It's different than the rest of the world. And there are even gradations or degrees of holiness that we read about. In Jesus' day, it kind of looked like this. Uh, you can take a look at the, do we have the slide? Is it up there? There we go. Look like this. Um, 
This is the, the temple that Herod the Great built. It was the temple that was present in Jesus' day. Certain places are more holy than other places. Uh, the holiest place was, of course, that place I've already mentioned, the Holy of Holies, which would be in this room. That's the temple itself. And then outside that, there was uh, the, the holy place. Um, but the Holy of Holies, again, it, even in the temple, was separated by this giant, huge, enormous curtain. Only the high priest could enter that Holy of Holies only once a year on the Day of Atonement. Outside the temple, you'll see courtyards there. This big courtyard out here was called the Courtyard of the Gentiles. Even Gentiles could go in there. These would be Gentiles who wanted to worship. Gentiles who were, you know, they wanted to adhere to the teachings of Judaism, but they didn't want to become uh, a Jew, not fully. Um, there was then a courtyard for women. That's this area right here. Nice little area, courtyard for women could actually go in there. Imagine, wow, hmm. Courtyard for Israelite men. That courtyard is this one, even smaller. It's this area right immediately around the, the temple there. And uh, then of course the temple itself, only the priests could go in there. Beyond the courtyards, of course, you have the city itself, the city of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem's not just any city, it's called the holy city. Yeah, it's not just any city, right? And then beyond Jerusalem, you had Palestine. And Palestine was called the Holy Land, right? Uh, and here's the thing. The point is that the closer you get to the most holy place, the closer you got to God. The holier that objects became, the holier the place became. Uh, and uh, fascinating, another fascinating aspect, well, it's fascinating to me. I don't know, you, you guys are looking like it's not that fascinating to you, but fascinating to me, a fascinating aspect of the tabernacle, that tent structure, that as you read through this chapters, you realize that uh, the court of the, the tabernacle, the, that, that draped courtyard, that used poles and it, and it used rods and so to hang curtains on. That, court, that courtyard around the tabernacle, the metal that is used to make those poles and those rods. And so the further out away you are from the Holy of Holies, the less the value of the metal. For example, on the very extreme edges, uh, some of those metals were bronze, but as you moved inward closer to the tabernacle itself, silver was used. Uh, by the time you get to the holy place or the holy of holies, all of the objects are covered in gold or else solid gold. So as you move toward the holier place, the increased value of metals or the, the, there's an increased value of the metals being used and the, there's also an increased sense of the holiness of that place. And the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, I mean, that's ground zero, right? I mean, that is the place where God is present. If you're a Jew, if you're an Israelite of that time, that's where the ark is. That's where God is. That's the direction we turn toward to worship him. At the very end of Exodus, after all of these instructions, after all of these pictures, after all of this information, you got sacred places, sacred people, sacred garments, sacred oil, sacred incense, sacred metals. The tabernacle is now set up. It's ready for use. It's coming online, so to speak. And this is what we read. It says, then the cloud. What was it that led the Israelites in the wilderness? There was a, a cloud by day, you remember, and then a, a column, a pillar of fire by night. This is daytime, the tabernacle is set up and it says, then the cloud, it's the same cloud, covered the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting. That's unusual because Moses was the one guy, remember, who would go to the tent of meeting. That was before it was even the tabernacle and he would meet with God face to face, we read. 
It was amazing. But now the, the tabernacle is, is covered in this cloud of glory and Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled, just filled the tabernacle. So now you see nobody could go in there, nobody. God is home, God's glory appears and he fills the temple, God is present. It's a totally holy place because God is totally holy. He is without sin. God is perfection in every way imaginable. Perfect goodness, perfect greatness, perfect majesty. And for 1500 years, this is the mindset of a Jew, of an Israelite. This is what we do at the tabernacle. And then of course, at the temple. Now enter Jesus. Are you wondering where's he going with this? I am going somewhere. I'm gonna go home. You'll go home in an hour. Uh, enter Jesus. Jesus shows up, he's on the scene. And this is all gonna get pretty interesting, pretty interesting. Now, remember, we're talking about why we exist. Did you remember that? Remember, we're talking about what we're to be about as a church. Uh, we're, we're talking about why it matters that we gather here together this morning in this room. So Jesus shows up and the question then was, who's this guy? I mean, he's teaching powerfully. He's even healing people. He's even raised some people from the dead. Who is this guy? What's he gonna do? What changes is he gonna bring? How is what he says and what he does going to affect the system that's been in place for 1500 years? And understand the whole New Testament is there to answer that question. Now in the gospel of John, John uses some very, very loaded language. At the beginning of John's gospel, he writes these words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Who's the word? It's Jesus. That's a term applied to Jesus. And John goes on to say a little later, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt is an interesting word. It's actually a loaded word. It's a word that John was very deliberate about choosing. Uh, it, it's a Greek word, uh, skino, and uh, it's from the, it's actually from a, a root, uh, skene. You can write that down. <laughs> Which was the word that meant tent or tabernacle. You see where I'm going with this. You see what John is doing. John uses this word, tent or tabernacle. Uh, some translations even translate this verse, the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is important. John's point is that what the Old Testament tabernacle was just a picture of, namely God dwelling in our midst, that now has become reality. It has become flesh and blood in Jesus Christ. God has come and is now present in our midst. And that is why some of you know the line that comes next. It's all very, very deliberate by John. John 1.14, it says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You get it? Tabernacle, glory. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Wow, we beheld his glory. The very glory of God, the glory that descended on the Old Testament tabernacle. Wow, John, are you serious? John is using that loaded language to describe Jesus. 
and Jesus coming and Jesus dwelling in our midst. And part of what this means is the old system, all of that sacrifice, the tabernacle, all these courtyards and so, that's not gonna function anymore. It's not gonna work. Because what it pictured, what it pointed to, what it symbolized has now become reality in Jesus. The holiness of God has arrived in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. You wanna know what God is like? Look at Jesus. So God now really does live among us. God and his kingdom have come to earth. The king is here. If we were in any other kind of church but a Presbyterian church, somebody, somebody would have said, amen, yeah. <laughs> And so you see, Jesus is constantly getting in trouble. He gets in trouble for violating the boundaries of that old system, you understand. He's redefining those boundaries. And so he does stuff like he eats with sinners, people like you and me. Pharisees don't like this. The keepers of the law, they don't like this. And Jesus doesn't regard these sinners as people who make him unholy. It's kind of more like, I think I can make them holy is the way Jesus approaches it. And Jesus goes around, he touches lepers when he heals them. You're not supposed to touch lepers. Lepers make you unclean. But it's like Jesus thinks, hey, if I touch this person, I will make this person holy. Wow. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. That's work, remember? We've got rules and regulations around that. And so Jesus gets criticized for violating this boundary, this distinction between holy and ordinary and clean and unclean. And not only does he not apologize for it, he actually claims authority over it. One time he and his disciples are walking and it's on the Sabbath day and they're walking. We, we talked about this last week a little bit. And as they walk, they're picking and eating grain on the Sabbath. Some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they get on their case for this. Hey, what are you doing? Do you see what, look at your disciples. What are you doing? You're a lousy rabbi is the point. And Jesus challenges them, haven't you read? Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? This is back in 1 Samuel 21. David is hungry. They're at the tabernacle. They have no food. They ask the priest for some bread. And the priest says, we don't have any bread except the consecrated sacred bread that's in the tabernacle that you're not supposed to eat. And David goes ahead and, goes ahead and eats it. It says he entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated, consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. The point is they ate it and they didn't die. There was an urgent need. They ate it and they didn't die. And then Jesus says, or haven't you read the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day? How do they desecrate the day? They work. That's what I'm doing right now. Does this look like work to you? Let me tell you, this is work. <laughs> this sermon was so hard to write this week. It was like breach birth. I'm rewriting parts of it this morning. I know it sucks. I don't want to hear about it. I mean, that happens sometimes, but tough. Just hang with me on this. But priests, you see, desecrate the day, and yet they are innocent, it says. So I am innocent is the point I'm getting to. But anyway, and then Jesus says this, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Mike, drop, boom, when he says that. Can you believe he says that? Can you believe, that's a stagger. One who is greater than the temple is here. Who's he referring to? Yeah, 
Jesus is referring to himself. Question, question, why is Jesus greater than the temple? How could that be? Well, because the temple was just a picture. It was just a symbol uh, of, of this, uh, the fact that God was present here on earth. But now, now understand, God has actually come to earth. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is a staggering thing for Jesus to say, absolutely staggering. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, I, I respect Jesus. I think he's a good guy. In fact, I think he's a, a really good, probably really great teacher. That's the dumbest thing you could ever say. You cannot actually read the things that Jesus said and believe with any kind of credibility that uh, Jesus was just claiming to be a good teacher. You know, does a good teacher say one who is greater than the temple is here? Absolutely not. You see, and in the Old Testament system, uh, the, the temple was the holiest place on earth. Now, the holiest place on earth is wherever Jesus is. See, now ordinary food, ordinary days, ordinary jobs, ordinary schools, ordinary people are becoming cleansed and holy. God is coming to dwell in them because they are trusting in and believing in and holding on to Jesus. You see, the old system has to go. The old way of thinking has to go. You know, some stuff is holy, some stuff is not. Some stuff is special, some stuff is ordinary. Some people are clean, some people are unclean. All of that has to go. Nothing is the same. Nothing is ordinary anymore. One day, a group of religious leaders asked Jesus for a sign. They didn't like his teaching. Jesus had come into Jerusalem. He had gone to the temple area and he was turning over tables where people were changing money and making lots of money. Jesus says, you know, this is a place, a house of prayer. What are you doing here? A lot of graft was going on there at the temple. Some people getting very rich by the things they were selling. They didn't like Jesus' teaching. They didn't like him clearing out the money changers. And Jesus says to them, destroy, they, want to, they want a sign. Show us a sign for why you can do this. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That's what he said. What in the heck is he talking about? Well, you see, he's saying things that no good rabbi would ever destroy this temple. Well, you see, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his body being the locus of the presence of God. He is linking his death, his dying to the death of that old system and his resurrection to the birth of the new, the new covenant, the new system. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again, he says in three days. And of course they do destroy that temple. That temple is his body. They crucify him. And this is what Matthew writes about that. He says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Matthew wants to be very, very clear about this. It was torn in two from top, you know, in other words, from heaven, from God to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. See, the temple curtain is torn. The very thing that separates the holy of holies from everything else, that curtain is gone. That separation between God who's in there and everything else, that is over. And when that happened, friends, when the curtain was torn in two, it's not just that people could now get into meet God, know God, love God. 
It was that now God was getting out. <laughs> now God is on the loose. Now God is pursuing people. He is reoccupying the world that he made. His kingdom has come. It's advancing every day. It's reconquering new territory, new people, new places, coming to Jesus every day. King Jesus is kicking the devil's butt is what's going on. And he's taking it back, every inch of it. Every person, every place, everything, it all belongs to Jesus. Jesus said to his followers one time, he said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses in Jerusalem, no surprise there. All Judea, that's still Israel, but Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Where are the ends of the earth? Well, that's wherever you are. See, now Jesus is the center, not Jerusalem. Where is Jesus going? Well, he's going to the ends of the earth. And where are the ends of the earth? Well, that is wherever you go. When teams go to Guatemala, that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is going. You see, Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Do you understand, friends, that if you follow Jesus, you are now the holy of holies. And together we are a living temple witnessing, demonstrating the presence of God here on earth. Jesus has obliterated that old system. And we gather in here, not because it's just holy here where Jesus lives, we gather to remember that it's holy. Yes, it's holy in here, but it's holy out there as well. It's holy everywhere Jesus is at work because Jesus died and he rose again. The curtain's been torn and our sin is forgiven. Death has been overcome. We can now know God and we can worship God. We can love God and we can love people. We can do life with God. We can serve others in the very name of Jesus, representing him and telling them about Jesus. We can join Jesus in his mission. You know, we gather in here to remember that Jesus is at work out there because we can forget that. You know, we've talked before about how we can never, ever, ever be a holy huddle. You know, that's language that we've used before. You all know what uh, this weekend is, right? It's a holy weekend. It's not Rosh Hashanah. Well, it probably is Rosh Hashanah, but it's the National Football League. It kicks off this weekend. Yeah, right? This is a holy Sunday. Imagine a football team ending a huddle and saying, man, that huddle was great. Let's, let's just huddle some more. I love the huddle. Let's not leave the huddle because it's kind of brutal out there. People are blocking, tackling, and they're hurting us. You know, they want to hurt us. Let's just, let's just focus on the huddle. Let's keep having bigger and bigger and better and better huddles. The point of the huddle is not the huddle is my point. Does that make any sense? The point of the huddle is to get out of the huddle and get into the game. And let's just be honest, this can be really difficult for churches. We tend to want to huddle. See, here's the deal. The, word does, the world does not care a, a fiddle about our huddles. Not really. The world is full of people who desperately need to know how much they matter, how much they are loved, 
how good God is, how wonderful Jesus is. And our calling, you see, is not about getting in a huddle and staying there. I have heard of teams using a no huddle offense, but I have never heard of a team using a no offense huddle. We don't wanna be a church that's got a no offense huddle going on. Can you imagine a staff at a hospital saying, hey man, we are so healthy in here. This is great, I'm healthy, you're healthy, we're all healthy together. Do not let in any sick people, right? No sick people here, they might make us sick. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. And Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And of course, that's us, sinners. We resonate with that. We understand that concept, brokenness, lack of perfection. Jesus came to call people just like us, us and others to repentance. And of course, um, you know, the good news is, There is a solution to our problem of sin. That was last week's message. There's a solution to our problem of sin and it's Jesus. We want people to know about Jesus here at Deer Creek Church. We unabashedly want people to become Jesus followers. We want people to become disciples of Jesus. You know that there are 140,000 people within a five mile radius of where we're sitting right now. And the truth is fewer than 25% of those people are connected to God by faith in Jesus. That's why we reach up. That's why we reach in. That's why we reach out. We reach up to connect with God and worship here every single Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We celebrate in this room who God is. We celebrate in this room the gospel, the good news, what we've been talking about, about Jesus. We teach Bible truth here because we want people to grow in terms of their ability to use that truth and have that truth inform them and change them and strengthen their marriages and help them be better parents and grandparents and so, right? Now, shift gears a little bit. Next 40 minutes, I've got some stats I wanna give you. A year ago, we launched something that we call the REACH Initiative. You've, most of you, have, you remember and you have heard of that. We set some goals for reaching up and reaching in and reaching out. Um, for reaching up, we talked about launching another worship service, a Saturday night service. And the rationale for that is very, very simple. There's no uh, rocket science here. We see people come to Jesus when we gather to worship here. And for that, we are very thankful. We see people grow spiritually through our worship gatherings. So having more of these things is an obvious opportunity for that to happen. Now, the trigger for that will be when we run out of room in here on Sunday morning. Uh, When seating is insufficient in here on a Sunday morning, we will add that Saturday night service. That means it's up to you and me to be here ourselves, right? And it's up to you and me to invite others to join us if that's appropriate, whenever that's appropriate. And then when this room is too full on Sunday morning, we'll create more space by adding that third service. Frankly, just an aside here, um, gosh, if all the folks who currently call Deer Creek Church their home would just show up on a Sunday morning, we, we would need to add this third service right now, you know, next week. That's how crowded we would be. But that's, to be honest, that's not where we're at. We have a lot of folks who join us about once a month, twice a month. That's just what they do. Don't get me wrong. Not scolding anybody. If that's you, we're very grateful to have you here whenever you can be here. But here's the thing. 
You see, we want to see you grow, and we believe that regular gathering together here to remember the stuff, the kinds of stuff we're talking about, that that's a key component to helping you grow and become more like Jesus. And the reason I'm mentioning all this, some of you have asked, hey, when's that Saturday night service going to get started? And I just want to be very clear to everybody what the answer is. It'll start when we need to. (laughs) When attendance here kind of requires that. And the good news is this, we are growing. God is working. We are very, very excited about this. We set a REACH initiative goal uh, last year. Uh, This is a goal for five years to see 100 people profess faith in Jesus. We said, uh, we'll start there. That's what we'll pray about. That's what we'll work toward. This past year so far, we've seen 40 people profess faith in Jesus. We're kind of ahead in schedule, or God is. I don't know. Um, We still have Christmas Eve uh, to go. And and, I mean, so we'll we'll see. But it's very, very cool. 27 children, 13 adults. We're, We're very thankful for that. That's not something we can make happen. That's something God makes happen. Uh, we can try to provide the opportunity for that to happen. We can preach the gospel, but only God makes that happen. And we're, we're so thankful to him that he has. Um, as we add folks here to our family, the time will come when we do need a third service. So what can you do? Well, pray. Pray for our community. Pray for the people you know. Pray for your workers. Pray for the people you go to school to. Invite them when and if that's appropriate to join you here. When you know we're going to be preaching and teaching the gospel, the, that's, that's something that you can do, that you can pray with us. Staff prays regularly about this. And you, again, invite people to join us. And when we do that, we'll see God work. That's how that works. We'll see God work. Um, you can share your faith out there when you encounter people who are uh, in various places and they're curious about your faith. Just share your faith. Don't be a theologian or an apologist. You don't have to do that. You don't have to know the answers to all their questions. In fact, you're not going to know the answers to all their questions. Uh, you can come here and have Joseph talk to him. Uh, but, the, you know, just be open, not obnoxious. It's not the same thing, but be open about your faith. Uh, in addition to adding a third worship service, uh, another reaching up goal that we mentioned was uh, starting a new site, a second site for worship services in Sterling Ranch. You know, Sterling Ranch is this area, this 3,400-acre community that's developing south of uh, Chatfield Reservoir, 12,000 homes, 30,000 people. It's huge. And we believe that we should tell these new neighbors about Jesus, those that don't know him. And so we are watching that development. We're keeping aware of its progress. We're praying for God to guide us. Uh, But understand the initiative two, that initiative two is directly connected to critical mass. Critical mass out there and critical mass in here. Growth has to happen there. Infrastructure, more homes need to be built. Schools need to be built. Uh, And when they start building schools, we'll start inquiring about renting them. Um, Service industries, things like that need to happen out there. So at present, what can you do? Well, please pray with us about this. We're constantly praying for Sterling Ranch and and for opportunities that will present out there for people to come to know Jesus. Uh, And we're going to be exploring. We're going to be watching. We're going to be waiting. And and you can participate with us right now by by praying about that. There are some individuals in our congregation that are helping us just kind of keep an eye on what's going on out there so that we know uh, when we should be making moves in that community. Part of our, uh, are you still with me? Just going to run down these, only a couple more. Part of our REACH initiative has to do with reaching in. That is connecting with each other, right? Vitally important for somebody who wants to follow Jesus. The way that we facilitate reaching in here at Deer Creek Church, small groups, small groups. uh, And they're launching this week. You know, in small groups, this is where we pray together. 
This is where we study together. This is where we pastor and shepherd each other. This is where we grow in small groups. These small groups are vitally important to our following Jesus. We said last year at this time that we wanted to see 80% of our congregation participating in healthy small groups. That was our five-year goal. A little context here. When we said that, uh, this is before we had revamped our group system and structure, uh, we had about 25% of our congregation involved in small groups when we set that goal. Uh, when we began this process a year ago, we saw a huge jump from 20. I mean, you guys were awesome. We went from 25% to 85% in one quick jump. I think you were ready for this. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. God was at work. And uh, today, this fall, right now, we have about 92 to 95% of our church meeting together in small groups. That's fantastic. Thank you, God. Fantastic. Now, here's why that matters. The numbers don't really matter. They, they literally don't. But here's why that does matter. In small groups, you make friends. In small groups, you have people who support you. In small groups, sometimes you laugh, sometimes you cry together. In small groups, you serve each other. You pray for one another. You study together. The point is you grow. And we believe that these are things that all of us vitally need. And so for the future, I think we need to change this goal. Instead of 85, we already accomplished it. Let's make it 110%. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. By that, I mean, if our groups are healthy, if we really are loving each other there, then there will be people who want to participate in our small groups before they know anything about what happens here on Sunday morning. So let's just make it 110%. I mean, I think that's what we ought to be shooting for. Uh, let's have more people involved in small groups than actually gather here with us on a, on a Sunday morning. Now, the session hasn't discussed that and prayed about that and talked about that. Uh, so, you know, I can't guarantee that that's going to be a goal, but we'll see what they do. And you'll hear more about it in the future. Third thing we talked about around here in terms of reaching out uh, in, our, uh, in our reach out initiative, uh, we've talked uh, about two things having to do with reaching out. One was planting churches and the other was community service. Let me talk about planting churches quickly. It is our goal, the goal of this community to plant two churches in the next five years. That's very aggressive. Not a lot of churches uh, our size are planning two churches, you know, uh, within a five-year period. Next fall, as you know, Brett and Aaron Weston are going to launch in Centennial. Brett, are you here? Okay, he's not then. He's not going to launch. We're not going to let him. <laughs> Dad Gummit, he should be here. No, I'm kidding. He's probably serving downstairs. Uh, Brett and Aaron Weston, is Aaron here? Yeah, nope. Okay, never mind. Not going to do it. Okay, <laughs> they're, they're probably both involved down there. Uh, Next fall, Brett and Aaron Weston will launch in Centennial. They're putting together leadership teams and launch teams right now and money and strategy and all that kind of stuff. Next fall, we expect that some of you will even be leaving Deer Creek Church to help start the Dwayne Corey Gospel Tabernacle of Centennial. <laughs> I jest, but, but that's happening next fall. I mean, that's, that's super cool. And uh, they'll be spending this year uh, preparing and laying, laying the groundwork for that. Now, this fall, what's going on? Well, we have a, a new family with us. Uh, we have Daniel and Hannah Nealon and their children, Eli and McLean, who are here this morning. Why don't you guys uh, come on up here real quickly? I want you to see these people. And yeah, 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 absolutely. This, uh, you're missing one. She's in the nursery, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, so this family's gonna spend three years with us. 
And uh, God is calling them to plant a church. Not sure exactly where yet, but that's what part of the three-year process is about. And just as we have prayed for and come alongside and worked with um, both Brett and Aaron, uh, we'll be doing the same thing with Daniel and Hannah. And uh, as you all know, many of you know Brett and Aaron, they've been a huge blessing to us. These guys are gonna be a huge blessing to us as well. Uh, and they, they're like brand new. They just got here a little over a week ago. And uh, so we need to love on them. We need to pray for them. We need to enfold them and be taught by them. You'll hear more from both of them in the future. But we are delighted to have you guys here. And we, we look to God to do some just really cool, really wonderful things through your ministry. You want to say anything? Never mind. Let us pray for you. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this family. Uh, thank you for their presence with us. Thank you, Father, that they will have impact on us here and, uh, and that they will advance your kingdom. And we pray, God, just as we do for Brett and Aaron, uh, their launching process, God, that there would be fruit born through their efforts and so also with uh, Daniel and Hannah. Uh, just bless them, Father. Fill them with your spirit and prepare them in every way necessary, God, to extend your kingdom uh, just a few years from now. Uh, we give you praise and we give you thanks that you let us participate in this kind of thing together with others who you have called to serve you. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen? Amen. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. And uh, the, the point is that our church planning goals are on target. One more thing. Uh, when we talked about reaching out, we talked about uh, serving our community. Uh, some of you serve individually in the community. Others times uh, we gather as a, as a whole church to, to serve together. This is about demonstrating to our community that Jesus cares. That's what this is about. It's, it's demonstrating that, that what we do in here isn't just talk. Jesus wants justice and mercy and love and healing to happen in communities where his followers live. This is just a given. Uh, he wants these things to happen in his name so that people know why we do the things we do. As I said, many of you have uh, ways that you serve individually. Some of you just are relentlessly battling the problem of sex trafficking. Some of you are battling the problem of, you know, when you have unwanted pregnancies, what do you do with those children? Battling the, the problem of abortion and all the hurt that goes with that. Some of you tutor children. Some of you, uh, some of you just serve the community. One of our uh, elders is a director for the Somerset Festival and just loves on and serves the community out there. And some of you are actually helping with some of those efforts. Uh, those are all just ways to serve in the name of Jesus and be helpful and to bring blessing uh, to our community. Uh, so many of you do that individually, but also three times a year, our whole congregation musters and comes together to make a difference in the community. We build playgrounds. We've done that several times. We install water systems when we send teams to Guatemala. We reach out with things like VBS, which is really a, it's a reaching out to the community saying, you know, let us, let's give your kids a, a really wonderful time. Let us tell them about Jesus. Uh, others of you uh, have served at Shiloh House. We paint, we build, we clean. We do all kinds of things together. Now, again, our five-year goal in serving our community, we said we want to we dedicate 10,000 hours to this at least. Uh, Tim keeps track of all this um, because if it was me keeping track of it, you'd say, hey, how are we doing? I'd say, yeah, I don't know. But Tim's keeping track of this. And at present, we are at 2,198 hours, 2,200 hours. So we're kind of right on track. Praise Jesus. That is good stuff. Thank you, God, for doing this. Now I'm going to close, okay? As we go into this year together, 
another year of ministry. Let me just say, if there is anything inside you, any area where you just are holding back, spiritually speaking, hesitating to be fully devoted to following Jesus, any sin, any habit, any area that you are just really struggling to surrender to him, please, would you, with the rest of us, surrender that. You see, you can know no better life. You can have no greater purpose. You can know no greater joy than living to love and to serve Jesus. And I mean that. He is the very incarnation of God. He is the picture of God's glory, of God tabernacling among us right now. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Because you see, if we do that, we will get to see God work in us and through us out there using us to bless and to change this world so that knee after knee after knee after knee will bow and tongue after tongue after tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're about. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we right now are gathered and looking ahead at this fall, Father, we are on the brink of a new year of ministry and we thank you for what you have done in Jesus. We thank you that although we get distracted at times and caught up in ourselves, that now, Father, the truth is it's all holy, all of life, every moment, every phase, every person that we encounter, God, you can be at work in their lives. You are at work in us. You are with us. You are working. Help us to see this, God. Help us to get this. Would you live your life in and through us to the glory of Jesus Christ? We ask in his name, amen.